0: Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat. I am Josh McCarty. With me tonight is Luca. Oh, You know, Luca, before I kick it over to you, I'm just going to tell you. um, One thing I've come to appreciate about our post-game podcast, and I mean this genuinely, is a lot of times these games take it out of me. And as a fan, like I remember after the Bills lost, Houston in the playoffs like I just sat in my basement just staring off into a a blank space for like an hour or two before my wife came down and checked on me and I was like man this can't be healthy behavior Uh, 13 seconds I'm just like the same thing like my wife and I are just in shock but what I've come to appreciate about this podcast is it's an outlet to get all of my frustrations out I will tell you Luca I cannot remember the last time I was this angry about a Bills game. It had to be 13 seconds. So I am really hoping that this podcast process gets the anger out of me because the way I'm feeling right now, I, I, I'm I'm betting that it won't.
1: But uh, we shall see. How are you doing tonight? Um, yeah. No, I, I share your thoughts on that, I will say. Um, it's ironic that you say what you experienced. And I know we talked about it off air, you know, before um, whereas I drank, uh, f- I was five six of a bottle of Grey Goose and sodas right after that Bills game. Myself, the Texans game, blacked out in my living room. Didn't even get to witness the end of Brady era in New England because I was passed out, drunk, black out in my own living room with like ten guests over. That wasn't healthy attitude. I'm glad we do this now. It's much healthier than that. Um, I do- this is probably the most upset I've been with a loss since. 13 seconds feels kind of right. I told you off air before we even came on, that was more of a shock to the system more than anything else. I don't even know if anger applies there. I do think that Texans game may be the last time because the, it was a game in which felt was so in hand, especially at halftime and somehow, some way in different facets, both to the opposition you're playing against. And then also that third Uh, individual involved in that game that wears the zebra zebra stripes got involved and somehow some way we found ourselves losing a game that we were up at halftime and feeling good about it because it was unexpected at that time like I will tell you going into this game it was unexpected if you told me we would be up 17-7 have a 10 point lead at halftime in Philadelphia where we are stalling out their offense and they don't seem to understand what they need to be able to do against this injury riddled defense that the bills have I would have bought that and some I would buy all the stock in the world of that and be so ecstatic that we could have something like that going into a half of football where all you need to do is maintain a lead for 30 seconds or 30 minutes. And that's kind of what the Texans game was. And it just, it's another game that fell apart in its frustration. It's anger. I do think that what we do here, Josh is therapeutic in a way. I feel like I go to bed in a healthier mindset than wanting to kind of either drink myself to the point where I need to get out of my own mind or whatever else it may be. And I'm hoping we can do this here, but this was when, when Jalen hurts, I'm going to steal your thunder a little bit from our previous episodes, but when Jalen hurts crosses the goal line and gets the game winning touchdown, I, I mean, I had a lot of explicitives and a lot of emotions running through my body. Um, I will say one thing we'll probably touch on is that's the first time you effing call zero blitz in this key moment. At that time, when they give you an absolute look to not do that, and it actually might benefit you to sit in a zone where you just need to cover your own particular area. Um, But overall, it just felt like truthfully a game of which you should absolutely in your own right, even with injuries, even with everything else going on this season, you should be able to manage and close out this team, this coaching staff, everyone just let it slip through their fingers. And let the inevitable loss happen. And Josh Allen has still yet to win an overtime game. And fun tidbit that we could even go into later Sean McDermott only has one overtime win, Josh. And that is a 13 7 blizzard ridden win with LaShawn McCoy in 2017. With Nathan Peterman and the only touchdown going to Calvin Benjamin. This team doesn't know how to close out games. This team doesn't know how to win games. And for some reason, they love losing games of the year. And it's Mm -hmm. just heartbreaking year after year
0: when the game ended so my scene is this um i I usually watch these games somewhat alone uh but tonight it just worked out that i was downstairs with my family i have a two-year-old son and an eight-year-old daughter and then my wife sitting next to me and the kids are playing in the playroom as Jalen hurt, as the play starts, I yell, I mean, and just so you guys know, like, I try not to cuss around my kids. Like, that's, I, you know, this stuff doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. The play starts, and I'm like, I, I stand up and yell, he's going to run. And because I, the as it's playing out, you're seeing the Bills defense. You're seeing the Eagles play, and you're like, oh, my God, he's got a lane. And as he takes off running, I yell, he's got a fucking run. And I spit. Spike my, my remote control on the ground as he crosses the goal line. And at that point, I'm feeling a combination of embarrassed, like super embarrassed because like I'm a dad. I'm not trying to be that person in front of my kids. Um, you know, you're in the wrong, but like the emotions just overtake you. Uh, anger, because up until that point, I really felt like the Bills were going to win. I mean, granted, a couple plays before that, it really felt like, OK, after the swift play to get down to like the 10 yard line, it was like, all right, this this might be not going our way. But through the majority of that game, I really felt like it was the Bills game. And so I ended up just leaving the room and went upstairs and just like paced. And just like I had I I knew I was in a bad headspace. But I will tell you, um, you know, we're going to cover a lot tonight, Luca. We're going to talk about officials. Uh, We're going to talk about self-inflicted wounds on the Bills and not just late, but early. I mean, the the very first drive by the Bills had a self-inflicted wound where James Cook drops a a would-be touchdown pass. And and I saw a lot of discourse on Twitter of, you know, hey, the Bills lose by three, but Tyler Bass makes a couple field goals, makes one. James Cook catches a touchdown pass, holding penalty here. Sean McDermott called there, yada, yada, yada. And what I will say is I understand where everybody's coming from with with that And, and. with the whole like, well, if if Tyler Bass makes both of those field goals or if he makes one, it's a totally different game. And and if you want to project it forward and assume that the entire game would have gone the exact same way with inserting that change into it, you feel free. But my frustration with all of that, with I understand there were many self-inflicted things that happened to the Bills early in the game. It should have been. I I came on built-in Buffalo halftime show and said the Bills could realistically be up 31 to 7 at halftime. That's how many self-inflicted things they had, and the referee with the horse collar thing not giving the Bills points on that drive. But, Luca, the game-winning shot Michael Jordan made against the Jazz in Game 6, do you care that he shot 43% in that game? No, nobody cares. Nobody remembers it. Adam Vinatieri's clutch season in 2001 where he hits the two field goals against the Raiders and then the walk-off against the Rams in the Super Bowl. Does anybody remember he was 12th? in the league and field goal percentage that year, not even in the top 10. No, nobody remembers that at all. My point, Joe Carter. I looked this one up, Luca. Joe Carter hits a walk-off home run for the, for the blue Jays against the Phillies in the early nineties in game six wins the world series in, in X bottom of the ninth or extra innings. He was zero for four before that at bat. Does anybody remember that Joe Carter was one for five in that game, but the one pretty epic. No, you know why nobody remembers it? Because the clutch moments are the moments that matter the most. Those are the high leverage moments. So you can sit here and talk to me about Tyler Bass missed field goals. You can talk about James Cook dropping passes. You can talk about a bad Josh Allen interception. It all added up to the Bills having a really good look at winning this game. And Sean McDermott got in the way again. How many times is Sean McDermott going to keep this team from winning a game? That's where my frustration is. I don't want to sit here for the next two weeks and talk about the officials. It is such a circular conversation where you chase your tail because there's nothing you can do about it. NFL officiating is gross. It makes the games unwatchable. I have gotten to the point in my life where unless the Bills are playing, I find myself not wanting to watch NFL primetime games. The Chargers and the Ravens are playing right now. I don't care what's going on in that game. I have a bad taste in my mouth from the Bills game. But the NFL product right now is at an all-time low because of the officials in my brain. But Sean McDermott cannot be let off the hook because of all the woulda, coulda, shoulda from the first three quarters and the officials. He blew through timeouts at the end of the game that cost his team a chance to win the game. Luka's going to get into some of the obnoxiously absurd defensive coverages he had in overtime that helped the Eagles end up winning the game. And I don't understand how this guy who fired Leslie Frazier because his defense couldn't get off the field against the Bengals puts a product out there that this is a defensive collapse against the Eagles with, I think, the season on the line. There's still 15% chance to make the playoffs, but we can talk everything that led up to it, but to me, clutch moments, Michael Jordan hits the big shot, Adam Minnitri hits the big field goal, and Sean McDermott blows it in the end. That's what I'm going to remember from this game, and that's what's got me heated right now, Luca.
1: Yeah, you're running hot right now. I am. Um, oh, I'm it, feeling it, it. Yeah, yeah, that was, wow. I, I don't see it out of Josh too often, to be honest, people. I'm normally the hot one here. Yeah. I, I will say this, though. Going into this McDermott conversation, it's what needs to be let off. You're absolutely in the right mindset where, and things were being said in my living room, because like you said, you normally watch alone. You had the family with you. I normally have friends over and stuff. That's well-documented at this point. There were things said, missed opportunities. I have a friend that just left my house in that he, I think he mumbled that to himself five, six times, and that's all he's going to think about. And that's all fine and well, but you are absolutely correct. When the bottom line is this, you had the opportunity to win. Everything was in front of you. You did the job that you needed to do. Allen hits Gabe Davis with a minute and sorry, I should have had this in front of me. Sorry, a minute 52 left when you are kicking off that ball after you are up 31 to 28 against an Eagles team on the road. You have put this team in a position to win and you are the head coach now who is also calling the defense that. You are in the position of, due to not being able to get off the field, as you pointed out so perfectly, you then put your third game on the season together where you make the job of the opposition's offense so easy to then move the ball methodically down the field to get in a position either to win or tie. And we've seen this in the past as well. We talk about 13 seconds at, to length at times in the past and stuff of that nature. Was that truly on Leslie Frazier as a defensive play caller? Does McDermott not have the kind of authority as a head coach, as a defensive-minded head coach, to put a stamp on what he's trying to achieve in those moments? Because there's a repeating theme that continuously has gotten worse over the years where this defense just allows easy yardage to continue to just be there for the opposition and it's you know the bend don't break philosophy is fine within that window of let's say 50 to 58 minutes but when it's two minute drill when it's everything like that you need to be defending like every yard counts and there were numerous times where you're watching a soft ass coverage out there in this two minute drill for the eagles that they didn't even have to go through a third down Until they were already at our own 36 with 30 seconds left. It took them a minute and 22 seconds to drive down from their own 25 to our 36. And in that span, they didn't even see a third down in a game where the bills had to occur. I don't even see it right now. I know it hit 21 third downs at one point. I don't know what it finished at. I'm going to try to look this up real quick. I got you. But they had a Ridiculous number of third downs. A ridiculous 22 third downs. Mm-hmm. The Eagles had 11. I understand the Bills ran over 90 plays comparative to whatever the Eagles actually ran. But the job of the defense is to force tough yards to be gained. To force third and longs of which it is difficult for then you to actually convert and continue to move a drive. And this defense in a crunch moment had no idea on what it needed to do in order to force hard throws to force hard yards keep p- players in bound don't even get me started on just letting players walk out either like infuriating to watch hey you know uh sorry swift DeAndre Swift he just picks up an outside left run you know either it's a, a quick just a dump off to sweat with no one near or Swift with no one near him and he can just easily jog for the first down and step out of bounds uncontested, or you have, I think it was AJ Brown up the sideline at one point for an 11 yard game. No problems whatsoever. Easy to let give them the out of bounds. No, no, no problems. Let's just let them feel okay about themselves. And then the, the worst part of the two minute drill before we got to overtime is the fact that they had a 59 yard field goal because they're all, they're all pro center had two insanely odd fall starts, clear Mm -hmm. fall starts. They, they happen and they puts them in a pickle. And yet somehow, some way they then have the magic to hit that field goal, which is what makes it even more infuriating because when things aren't going well for other teams, somehow, some way it still works out for them. And yet the bills did nothing to resist or to, to provide them resistance in getting to that point to kick that field goal. They easily should have had a shorter one in all reality. You can talk about it. Man, I still can't believe they hit that 59-year field goal. Yeah, it's crazy. And those ele- elements and everything like that, Jake Elliott, like, you deserve all the accolades for hitting that field goal in that situation. Incredible, incredible, incredible kick. It should have been shorter because the Bills gave them that opportunity. They just had a couple of self-inflicting wounds that he made up for them. It, it To run a soft... Three high coverage with your outside corners just being concerned about over top, and then your linebackers are not really wanting or have any desire to even fly out to anything outside underneath is despicable in crunch time. Give them the over the middle stuff, make them either burn the timeout or whatever it might be. I'm okay with that. If you have Terrell Bernard just sitting in the middle, camping in the middle, or Jordan Poyer just camping in the middle, and everyone else is essentially worried about numbers outside. And then underneath as well, so you don't get these quick checkdowns, so be it. You have a safety over top to help the big stuff. You have your one guy over the middle to hopefully manage everything going in there and just bring players down if something's hit over the middle and then just worry about the sidelines. And there was none of that from this defense, both in the two-minute drill and in overtime. It was the same defense. It was too damn easy. They just let them absolutely march. I don't even want to say march down the field. They let them walk down the field. It it was a walk in the park for the Eagles in those moments. That was the easiest time they had all game. And then the cherry on top of it all. What makes this a true bottom tier, absolutely rock bottom masterclass for Sean McDermott as a defensive coordinator, not the head coach, just strictly the defensive coordinator, is the time you finally pull a blitz of some variety that is aggressive out of your bag. The Eagles come out in a tray shotgun look where everything is telling you it's going to the, your their right. And you just have this wide open left, just wide open with one receiver out there. And you call a zero blitz in that moment. And you are basically saying Micah Hyde can take on Jalen hurts one-on-one. And that is so irresponsibly dumb. You saw how easy that was. And, And you know, Whatever that attempt of a tackle was by Micah Hyde, whatever. I don't think Micah Hyde's bringing down Jalen Hurts in the open field like that anyways, to be quite frank. That's just not his game. And Rasul Douglas just takes a wild punch at the ball. Is it great effort? No. Is Rasul Douglas doing anything about it at the point in which he just takes a wild swing with a punch? No. That touchdown was inevitable as soon as the ball was snapped, and Hurts saw the wide open field to the left. Pre-snap, he saw it and he knew it was a touchdown. I bet you Jalen Hurts could have in his set gone game. Just called it out and snapped the ball and ran it. The he it was inevitable. McDermott is irresponsible and just horrible at his own job to do what he did in those moments at that point in time. And I will say this. I didn't hear this question. I tried watching to the post game and everything, but I'll leave it at this. I think this conversation is perfect for this. I have a buddy Dylan who said it so well that this is a question you need to ask McDermott. You fired your OC tonight. The offense gave you 34. The defense had the ball with two chances to end the game. They failed at both times. Do you hold the DC responsible in this moment in time? That's it's a simple question that should be asked to McDermott. And I guarantee McDermott of all the answers he gave tonight would just be like, this is a team game, which I heard out of his mouth this is yeah. a team effort. It was a team loss things of that nature, because that in my mind, in my eyes, and I think Josh shares the same mind in this, that is him deflecting to the fact that the team lost and he doesn't want to show that it was him that let the team down. He says he starts with him and he evaluates starting with him always. Look, it's so hard to be critical of yourself when you think what you're doing is right. But when there's so much evidence out there like tonight that shows everything you're doing is, as you had said so well, Josh, is getting in the fucking way, you need to stop and reevaluate everything else. And you need to change something because what you are doing is wrong and you are continuously losing games for this team for this team that is inevitably going to cost us a spot in the playoffs when it might literally be the best chance for this team to make a run because everyone in front of you is the likes of PJ Walker. Kenny Pickett and all of that trash Gardner Minshew all of these other trash individuals at quarterback with average mid-ass teams that are going to somehow get wiped by the Dolphins by the Chiefs by the Ravens and I like this team stacked up against any of them on any good day especially when you see a Josh Allen like we saw tonight and it's a damn damn shame that this game for Josh Allen was not kind of that MJ against Utah moment or any of those big clutch moments that it absolutely deserved to be just like the 13 seconds game, just like every other game that he has experienced, even the Tampa game that I referenced in the last episode we were on where he finally had that moment and then stripes and poor defense took that result out of his hands. It's it's just irresponsible to not blame yourself if you're McDermott. You are the cause of this loss. You are the cause of all these painful losses. You are the reason we cannot win overtime games and we cannot win game of the year games. It is you look in the mirror and figure it the F out.
0: You know, it's, it's interesting because your friend Dylan about would you fire the defensive coordinator? Who do you hold him responsible? That would be a good question. I know McDermott would just say it, it starts with me. I'm the head coach, yada, 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 but whatever, I want to go back to the bills drive in overtime because there was an interesting sequence where, you know, if you're a bills fan, you're kind of bracing for like, okay, well, once that Elliot kick went in, you kind of felt like maybe it's not the bills day. And then you were kind of bracing for like the first drive just to go wrong. But I will tell you, there's a point in this drive where my mindset shifted to the bills are going to win this game. And it was, Second and nine, Buffalo is on their own 40 yard line. Josh Allen throws a pass to Stefan Diggs. He's open. He drops it. I mean, you're just like, holy cow. Stefan Diggs is now dropping passes, which, if that's happening, stuff is wrong. Third down, third and nine, Buffalo doesn't get this. They absolutely have to punt. Josh Allen scrambles for 15 yards. Nobody cares about what's going on in my living room, but it's, we can all kind of relate to this. I looked at my wife and said he is in the zone right now and he is not going to be denied. And at this point, we've all, me, you, Bills fans out there, if you're listening to this show, I assume you're a Bills fan, we've all seen enough Josh Allen games, and I know Nick Wright jokes about the roller coaster, but hey, when Josh Allen is on, it's not hard to notice. And when he's playing like he was playing tonight, It's like every play. I know he had the interception. Every read he makes is correct. Every play he makes is correct. He goes into Superman mode and starts running, and you can just tell it doesn't matter if there's a linebacker in in his way. He's going to find a way to make a miss, run around him, or run through him. Josh Allen was in the zone tonight, and it was painfully obvious that put the game in his hands, and it's probably going to work out for you. And why do I bring that up, Luca? Because the Bills had one, two. Three, four, four different first down plays in overtime. First one: James Cook, left guard, for one yard, tackled by Jordan Davis. Next one, after they get the first down, Josh Allen finds Gabe Davis on a nice scramble. Next one, first and ten from the Buffalo 39. James Cook, one yard, tackled by Jordan Davis. Then we have the dig situation. Allen scramble, Superman Kate back on. Next play. First and 10. Hey, a pass. Not really, though, because it's a run-pass option, and neither one of the receivers knew that he was going to throw it. So we'll give him credit for an incomplete pass, but still kind of a give-up play, and then they get the first down. Next time, they get the first. Okay, now they get a first down because they're really cooking. We get a Josh Allen short right to James Cook gain of four yards and a 15-yard penalty roughing the passer. The Bills are set up chef's kiss. On the Philadelphia 26, first and 10, 26 yards away from winning this game. First and 10 at the Philadelphia 26, Latavius Murray up the middle. No gain, tackled by Jordan Davis. I do not understand when Josh Allen is on a heater, taking the ball out of his hands. And I understand that when the Bills drove down In the the second half, there was a drive they had where it was run, 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 run. That might have been the go-ahead touchdown drive, and it was a thing of beauty. But Josh Allen was on a heater, and you had three different examples prior to that Murray one where it wasn't just the fact that Cook wasn't running well. They were getting blown up in the backfield by Jordan Davis. And they took the ball out of his hands, and you basically donated it down every drive, setting up second and 10 or second and 9. And it was predictable. It was infuriating. I would have loved to see Josh Allen with the ball in his hands. And Luca, there was another instance I would have loved to see Josh Allen with the ball in his hands. 20 seconds to go in regulation. The Bills have one timeout in their pocket. We can talk about how they should have had two or three. Sean McDermott calls a timeout to ice the kicker. Um, you know, Luca can, when, he, when I kick it back to you, you can talk about why you don't mind that as much. But 20 seconds left, one timeout in your pocket, Josh Allen, and the Bills take a knee from the 25-yard line. I will remind everybody last year, this very week, Thanksgiving week, I was in Detroit when the bills got the ball back after a long field goal from Michael Badgley, the the money badger, as he was called by the lions fans. And they start the drive with 23 seconds left at their own 25. And the very first play of the, of, of that drive, Stefan Diggs for about 50 yards, puts them right in field goal range. I understand it was an indoor game. This was an outdoor game in the rain. The Eagles are probably a better defense than what the lions had last year. I understand all of that, but you have Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs. These are your money players. Give them a shot. See what happens. Trust Josh Allen to make the right read. If he drops back and doesn't like what he sees, he can throw it to my cousin in the 10th row. They're not going to call intentional grounding on that in that spot. And if they do, who cares? You'll just kneel it out on the next play. But the fact that they took a knee there was egregious. He took the. I thought. I think it was Bruce Nolan on Twitter who said Sean McDermott continues to coach like he doesn't have an elite quarterback. And I agree with that 100. Um, do you do you think Andy Reid would have taken a knee there with Mahomes? I don't. You think Sirianni's taking a knee there with Jalen Hurts? I don't. I don't think Mike McDaniel's taking a knee there with Tua. And the best thing this team has. Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs against the defense in the second half that has shown you they are getting worn down by this Eagles offense. You have a 20 second shot to get to over to to win this game before overtime, and you take a knee. Luca, I was I was out of my mind angry at the first down calls. I was out of my mind angry at the conservative nature of how they handled the end of regulation. And it's just piling on. I understand Joe Brady calls the plays but it starts at the top. It's a mindset sent down from the head coach. McDermott continues to be overly conservative in these high leverage situations. I don't care about what he does against Zach Wilson last week. I want to see what he does on the road against Philadelphia, the best team in the sport with your entire season on the line. And he showed us and it was disappointing.
1: Yeah. It's one more example of a coach that wouldn't even do that just to really put a beautiful, beautiful example at mind here. The diarrhea filled Brandon Staley would have Justin Herbert do something with this. That dude has no idea how to coach a game and he will be most likely fired after this game, even if they win. I don't care, but he would go for a 20 seconds having a timeout in his pocket because it's just an understanding of, as you painted out so perfectly When you have that elite guy and you have even on top of that an elite weapon somewhere, what is the worst that could possibly happen? That is how you win games. That is what you do to maximize opportunities. And as you mentioned, I will bring it up. In hindsight, would it have been incredible to have that second timeout? Yes, absolutely. Are you expecting a kicker to hit a 59-yard field goal in those elements? No by calling the timeout where he has to sit there and the field get wetter and the ball gets wetter, although I'm sure they leave it covered the ball-wise, and the kicker is sitting there getting wetter and just thinking about it and mulling about it. It's a rare moment where elements added into it, even with as great of a kicker as Elliot is, as you could even see with that, that wasn't his best ball hit by any stretch. I am sure he can hit a 59-yarder in better conditions in a much better fashion. What What blows my mind is, You call that timeout, sure. You're icing it, all that stuff. But even with a timeout in your bag, as you said so beautifully, you have 20 seconds. You watch 13 seconds with two timeouts go right down your gut for a game-tying field goal to force overtime. You have 20 seconds with only one timeout. In all reality, you should be able to do something. As you pointed out, you're in Detroit on Thanksgiving, 23 seconds and one timeout, I believe, maybe two timeouts. But regardless, you had a timeout in your bag and you hit a deep shot that was there. You could get a pass interference in that moment in time where you don't even need to use your timeout. That shit happens. You literally got called for a pass interference in a Denver game that then cost you the game in its own right, even though it shouldn't have because you should have only had 11 people on the field for the first field goal miss. You continue to try to manage this game, Sean McDermott, in a way where you are trying not to lose. What you inevitably will do against teams that know how to win is that exact thing. You will lose. You can't play conservative when you have the chips in your hand. You can't do it. That's not what you do at a poker table. That's not what you do in the game of life. When you are driving everything to success, when you have a hot, item like a Josh Allen and things are going right for you, you continue to ride that you continue to lay pressure down and continue to drive into success as you try to win at whatever you are trying to do in this. It's as simple as football. Just do something. I am with you on this point. I'm with you on everything on this. The timeout to me is minuscule. Mm -hmm. It should that timeout should not dictate what you did between that kneel down or not. I hated hearing Tony Romo say it's understandable because you have to consider the elements. Bullshit. You know who's the most like anti-elements quarterback in the entire league? Josh Allen. We saw him throw piss missiles through an 80 mile per hour gust windstorm and almost come back and win a game that the Bills decided to sit on and do nothing in. And the opposition threw a total of two passes. We see him in snowstorms throw balls 80 yards from point of launch to point of hitting the ground. He can do whatever it is. You saw him today throw for 339 yards, 29 completions on 51 attempts. He could do no wrong, especially in the second half. It wasn't like he came out hot and cooled off and the Eagles figured it out. It was quite the opposite. Even though things went well for them in the first half, there were still moments where it seemed like he wasn't at 100%. He wasn't that super Josh that you pointed out where it's almost like you see the red in his eyes. But all of a sudden in that second half, I mean, the drive log says it all, in my opinion, where it's just, you have second half, you are going field goal, miss, then touchdown, interception, the interception, we know punt touchdown. uh, And then it's, it it was just every drive outside of that interception, even the field goal miss successful drive. in Josh Allen's mind, you just had a field goal, missed touchdown. You had the freak interception that yes, in my eyes, like you said, that might been the one moment he read something wrong and I can get into the details of it if we ever want to, i I kind of do and kind of don't because I feel like it would be me criticizing Josh Allen where he had a super game. But then out of that, they do end up having a three and out. But after that, it's just, it seemed that 10 play drive where he did everything he could to then eventually hit Gabe Davis. That should have been the moment. And he was seeing red. He was absolutely understanding the moment and task at hand. And he had everything in front of him. And you completely took the ball out of his hand, both in that 22nd moment, But then, as you pointed out beautifully as well, in that drive log kind of summary on first downs, you were taking the ball out of his out of his hands continuously with meaningless, useful snaps that inevitably stalled a drive only because of a miscommunication. We wouldn't be talking about any of this if Gabe Davis just runs a go route and or Josh Allen just understands Gabe wants to run to the corner and just throws it a little bit outside instead of taking the route with the ball that he threw. It's unbelievable how close they still came to winning this game. And we probably wouldn't be having any of this conversation, Josh. It's insane to think <clears throat> how close we were to not complaining about this. I do think we would have been complaining about officiating. I do think we would have been complaining or at least questioning yet another performance of McDermott where he did a lot of stupid things. But in all in all, that's what a win does for you. It doesn't let make it kind of linger and anger you and stuff like that. Winning cures all but when they continue to stack up in the loss column and you have moments like this, you just can't look away. You can't turn a cold shoulder to it. It's just, it shines like a sore thumb and that 22nd moment and the overtime moments that you pointed out so perfectly, Josh, are just brutal. And it's almost highlights what we may not understand as fans where McDermott truly does micromanage everyone underneath him. And if you just don't want to get in his way and just understand what's best for this team and the offense, you're going to, you're going to just be left behind and McDermott will do something else that he knows he can get a yes man for. And I just feel bad for Joe Brady if that's the case, because he's been thrusted in this moment. And I'm not trying to say Joe Brady is doing a great job either, but all I'm saying is he's at least not getting in the way until McDermott then overrules him and tells him what he wants to achieve on offense. And that is when it's a big problem.
0: I agree. I wanted this game so bad. I wanted it so bad. And you just think about what it could have meant for this team. You saw the emotions, you saw Diggs. This was reminiscent of 13 seconds. Cause if you, re- you remember back Diggs was on the sideline, pumping up the defense on that last drive before uh, overtime um, in the chiefs game. And he was doing the same thing tonight against the Eagles. Like, right before the field goal, he's out there like cheering on the defense. You could tell how important it was to the players. And obviously it's important, but you could just tell they knew it was a big spot. It was such an opportunity to right some wrongs that had happened this season. Like the bills have given up games to teams. They have no business losing to when you talk about the jets without Aaron Rodgers, you talk about the Mac Jones Patriots. You talk about the Broncos on Monday night. This was a game that many of us, when the, when the schedule came out, we were like, well, this is probably going to be a loss. This might be the hardest game on their schedule. You got one back tonight if you win this game. Then you go into your bye week at 7-5, and five, and Dane Jackson comes back, Kyrie Elan comes back, Dawson Knox comes back, and you have all the momentum in the world to make a serious run, and it's like you had a chance to erase some really painful, dumb losses, and you let it go. And that's the most frustrating part for me is if the bills came into this game, they were six and five coming into this game. If they were eight and three or seven or seven and four, just one more, this would stink, but it would also like, if you had the Patriots game in your pocket as a win, it would stink, but it would also be like, man, we just punched with the Eagles. I know we lost it kind of like that bucks game from 2021. Cause we had a little bit of room to spare. Um, we just punched with the, the Eagles. We gave them our best shot. Uh, there's still some things we want to figure out. And I will also tell you, uh, you mentioned like if the Bills won, we mentioned this stuff. One of my biggest takeaways from this game, I mentioned it at halftime, I mentioned it the entire time I thought the Bills were going to win, was every time something went wrong, the Bills responded. James Cook drops a touchdown pass. The Eagles go down and score a touchdown on the next drive. That is aided by a phantom call on Rasul Douglas on third down. And you're thinking, oh boy, are are the bills going to fold the tent now? No, the bills go down and answer right away. And um, you talk about um, the bills, Josh Allen, the bills in the second half have a 10 point lead and it goes away like that because of a Josh Allen interception, the Eagles score. They're up by four. The bills come back and do nothing with the ball. And you're like, oh no, this is, this is that, this is that moment. And then the bills, come back and take the lead. And then they hold them to a 59 yard field goal. And then they make the 59 yard field goal. And then the bills go into overtime and start driving. They just kept answering. And if they had won this game, I, I would have been so impressed with like, yes, there were self-inflicted wounds, but they overcame it and they didn't quit. Um, I do want to say quickly, Barstool sports has posted a video of some bills, defensive linemen getting into it with an Eagles fan. It doesn't show what was said, uh, but clearly, something was said because Ed Oliver, Shaq Lawson, Jordan Phillips, and Greg Rousseau all angrily march over to wherever that fan was staying. This looks like it was during the game, not after the game. And they're all heated, and Jordan Phillips starts screaming at the fan, and Ed Oliver shoves the fan, or not Ed Oliver, uh, Shaq Lawson shoves the fan. Um, that's not good. That That's not going to be good for Shaq Lawson. Um, we, we shall see. hopefully somebody around them has that fan on video, whatever he said, but a player shoving a fan, that's not going to end well for, for Shaq Lawson, unfortunately. Um, anyway, Luca, you know, we, we haven't talked about the Tyler Bass missed field goals. We haven't talked about the James cook drop. Um, I, you have some beautiful notes here of different blunders that happen, whether it's this season and whether it's in the game, we could get into that, but I, I do want to throw a big picture question at you. Are the Bills done? Are 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 they? They're six and six. They just lost another heartbreaker. The AFC is a jumbled mess in the wild card race. Um, Are the Bills done?
1: Yeah. (laughs) Let me just put it that way. Yeah. Are they mathematically done? No. Or can I see a world that the Bills walk into Arrowhead off a bye, of which Kansas City has to go to Green Bay to play Sunday night football in green Bay before playing us and then win and then come home to play Dallas and win against a team that I still at this point in time, consider one of the biggest fugazes of the NFL. Yeah, I could see that. Can I see them then on Christmas? Well, Eve, Eve, Christmas Eve's Eve going to LA and win, winning against the chargers team that I mean, Brandon Staley will most likely not be coaching by that point in time. Yeah. And then from that point, you should be hopefully beating the Patriots and you all all of a sudden have a game against the Dolphins. That's bigger for you than most likely for them. Can that all happen? Yes. Oh, my God. Justin Tucker just missed a 44 field goal. Sorry. Um, do I expect it, though, with what's going on? No, because at the end of the day. I don't trust Sean McDermott to manage a game in big moments that you're going to inevitably have, especially with what I expect at Arrowhead against Kansas City. And then the week after, at least at home against the Cowboys, you might get out screwed up by Mike McCarthy. And if you blunder a game worse than Mike McCarthy and the Cowboys, you should probably be fired on the spot. And it's just pathetic to think that this team with Josh Allen playing as well as he is just can't get it done because this head coach that rightfully so we believed could do it because he brought us to the point of where we're at now, where we expect to win these games and we are in position to win these games, is now the cause and concern of why we can't. That's just the reality of it, and they will not win out. And you have to win out with this schedule now. You have to, to even have a remote chance. And even then, the problem is, if you want to be optimistic and say the Bills will win these games, Josh, they will win down the stretch. They will finish at this point 11 and six. I still believe the teams ahead of you, like the Browns, like the Colts, like the Broncos, God, the Broncos, those teams are going to still find a way to also get to around that 11 win mark. And they have all the tiebreakers on you. That's just the reality of it for the bills. You put yourself in this position. It seems like now, even though percentage wise, I know it doesn't show it in this way. It seems like now your better chance to make the playoffs are the dolphins slipping once or twice, which I believe they need twice at this point now. And you win. They just need it once. Okay, good. If the bills went out, right. If the bills went out, You just need them slipping up once more to then take the division. And at that point, it's a miracle. I I will just be honest because I think the Dolphins have a fairly easy schedule down the stretch. And we find ourselves in foreign territory, it feels like, because when was the last time as Bills fans, we were even remotely concerned around the league and what that was going to happen. I will say this. I just looked at it now. The Dolphins do still technically play the Cowboys and Ravens, and they are Mm -hmm. at Baltimore for that one the week before they play the Bills. Boy, could that be some sort of game that sets up something if the Bills do the unexpected in my eyes and run going into week 18. It's possible they have Josh Allen. They have just the one thing you need, which is an elite quarterback. But at the end of the day, to come back to your question, Josh, no. i I, sorry, sorry. Yes. The bills in my eyes at this point in time are done. We're going to be having an interesting bye week. It's a good bye week for mental health as a fan. That's for sure. But it couldn't be the worst timed bye for the bills. You even brought it up on air. It's like technically they had a bye after the, the hail Murray, the, you know, obviously the hail Mary loss to the Cardinals. But even then, I think that's one of those freak things. It's a shock loss. You go into bye week and it was still, middle section of the season, which then they could build on and turn things around. And they did what they did. This is where you are now sitting in a position where you are not in the playoff picture and teams are going to be playing that you need to lose. And might I add, and I know I brought them up a lot of those games with those teams, like the Colts play the Titans. Do I expect the Colts to lose to the Titans? Absolutely not. The Browns, I believe, play someone god-awful, too. It's just, it's one of those situations where coming out of the bye, the reality is you're going to be in deep shit when it comes to a wild card, and now you're looking at the division and nothing else, to be quite honest. And I, I'm i a betting man, and I would probably bet it's safe to assume that the Dolphins can easily win all the games they have in front of them, and therefore that Week 18 game won't matter when it comes to the division, and the Bills will walk into that. Being eliminated from the playoffs because even if they won out, it's just not going to happen.
0: So I'm with you. The Bills' best path to winning this, uh, to getting a playoff spot, is having one less loss than the Dolphins prior to Week 18, and then you own the tiebreaker over them if you beat them Week 18. There is just too many teams to climb over in the wild card, and your AFC record is abysmal. Now I will say this: next week is a new week. Things could go your way. And then if you beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead, I will believe you can beat the Cowboys. And then the Chargers haven't been super impressive. And I also will say this about the Dolphins. They have not been overly impressive in recent weeks. They, they beat a Jets team that could not fight back offensively, but they didn't look great offensively against the Jets. And they barely beat the Raiders the week before. So it's possible that the Dolphins are doing what they did last year and having their late season offensive swoon. I think the, the Commanders are somewhat live in that game next week. We shall see depends what version of Sam, Howell you get, uh, but I'm with you. Um, if they beat the chiefs and arrowhead, I'll allow myself to think it's possible, but it's it's just hard to stay emotionally invested when it's like they lost the Broncos. They lost this game. Uh, I do want to have one conversation about the officials. Cause you did a really good job of outlining everything that went wrong in this game. Is there one sequence or one thing that happened with the officials That really stands out in your mind. And in general,
1: how comfortable are you in a conversation where we have to blame the officials? I'm comfortable having an isolated conversation with how bad officiating was in this game. I am comfortable with pointing out the fact that officiating did not help the bill's side. It seems like overall in this outcome of the game, what I will say is through all of that adversity, it's not the lone reason. It's not what seriously caused this to inevitably be a loss for the bills. I, I think officiating just you, you pointed it out earlier in the episode. Let's go. Let's go back to that quick. You pointed it out early in the episode where it, it was one of those things where you just felt like things could not go your way well and officiating was just blind to what the heck was going on. The worst, there there were two moments. There were two moments that are egregious to me, that were awful to me. Undoubtedly, unquestioned, just pitiful no calls that feed into how officiating is not helping. And it makes the product so sour, like you pointed out early. It's just almost borderline unwatchable, the NFL that is at this point in time. One, the clear. Hold PI, whatever it is at the moment, I don't even know at the point of which the ball was thrown to make that decision on my own, because guess what? It wasn't even flagged in the first place. When you watch replay, it's a bang-bang situation, whether it be a PI or hold. It doesn't matter. Both would be an automatic first down. But a clear hold from Darius Slay on Diggs that was just not even not even seen by any official, any stripes on the field. Someone should be watching that because that's where the ball is traveling to, and yet somehow no one noticed it. Also, fun fact, that is why you wear the same color gloves of the opponent you're playing because, fun fact, Darius Slay is wearing white gloves. So even if someone saw it because it was on the inside kind of armpit, maybe that's the reason they didn't see it. Who cares? You're pulling enough jersey that I'm pretty sure you should be able to see that if you're an on-field official, and they unfortunately did not. The second one in the worst one in my eyes is the roughing the passer or sorry, not roughing the passer, the horse collar on Josh Allen slash um, intentional grounding situation. We'll call it two things to break down here. One. Josh Allen is not only being ripped by the front of the collar of his jersey to the point of which threads are being torn. Hassan Reddick, I believe it was then has the presence of mind to reach around with his right arm at the top point of the collar on the back plate of his jersey and then pull him down at that point all the way to the ground. I know that the rule even says that a passer inside the pocket cannot be ripped down by what is designated as a horse collar. If that even happened in the pocket, Josh, I'm pretty sure they'd call that roughing the passer. If he released the ball, they would call that roughing the passer. Now it's outside the pocket, and for whatever damn reason, they just want to completely ignore that, even to the point where Allen is showing the torn collar of his jersey going, how in the world can you get it this bad? Even though technically the front of the collar would not be a horse collar for what it's worth. But it was clear as day that something was there. Just ignored. Add in the fact that Allen somehow does get the ball off, it the weird angle that his body was at due to the horse collar. He gets the ball off Gabe Davis, who at that point in time was lined up just off tackle. He was kind of in a blocking position at the snap. He is standing there. He turns around and rotates for Allen to see Allen gets the ball off. It maybe travels six inches. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's maybe an inch off the ground to begin with. So it's not going very far at the spine busting angle he's at, but he gets the ball off. And if I understand the rule correctly, you need an eligible receiver within five yard cushion of the actual throw for that to be deemed a successful pass, an incomplete pass, and not intentional grounding. The officials have the crazy audacity to rule Gabe Davis was not within the vicinity of the pass being thrown, and therefore it's intentional grounding. He is being horse collared, dragged down to the ground by Hassan Riddick, but yet had still the ability to get rid of the ball. I would have taken a sack there over the result of this play. But for you to then say that he did get the ball off, that is not an eligible receiver wearing number 13 within the five yard bubble of this pass getting off as he's being ripped down by a horse collar. And the only outcome of this play is the fact that it is intentional grounding is criminal from the stripes. It is reckless and dumb. It is the prime example of, of why there both needs to be a restructuring of how we actually officiate games and where people overseeing the sky judge should be able to be rule as the off field official will call them, where he can be like, Hey, you screwed that call up. Like what they do in other professional leagues that have billions and billions of dollars on the line. You should be able to do the same flipping thing as they do in those leagues. As you do here. Because if the on field officiating is doing such a poor job in which they are missing egregious things on the field, there should be someone else that should be able to step in. And second thing that the NFL should be doing on this point is clear as day, something that's been cried from national media everywhere for years to come and years prior. And that is full time NFL officials. How in the world do you have a multi billion dollar product? out there with part-time guys or women as well doing this job and doing it at such a poor level that they can still get away with it and just act like nothing's wrong. If we did our job as poorly as they did today, as they do in all games, it seems like a repetitive theme, you would be fired the next day coming into the office. These people continue to then dictate the games week after week after missing call after call. And it is criminal. It is ridiculous, and it does. It hurts the fan experience and hurts in what you believe because it's just like you are waiting to get screwed rather waiting to see what enjoyment you can get out of whatever the outcome is because this asshole in stripes with a yellow fucking laundry in his pocket is going to throw it against you, and you know it's going to happen. It's not if, it's when. And Eagles fans out there might go, well, you did get a very soft uh, roughing the passer call. Yes, I will own up on that. Did Josh Allen flop? Was it really that rough in the passer? No. But when you stack up six to seven missed calls and six blown calls to that one, it's bullshit argument on your sake. And I will say the one that I didn't even bring up is, and I brought it up. It's the first thing I think I said to Josh when he hopped in and asked me how I was doing. I was like, I don't know what the fuck a football move is anymore. I don't know. I don't know how you dictate that. I don't know how officials, part-time officials are supposed to dictate that. When I watch A.J. Brown catch a ball up high, two feet, start to pivot and turn, cradling the ball down into his lower abdomen, which at that point it is jarred loose. It never looks like it's bobbling in this entire motion until a fist drives the ball loose. If that is not a football move in my mind, I don't give a shit about this third step rule. To me, the process of the catch is you receiving it securely and having two feet on the ground when you go to rotate your hips, when you go to make another move off of that action, how is that not a football move? I don't get it. I do not get how that is not designated as a football move. At one point, you are doing one thing. As soon as you can definitively say that moment has ended, like a touchdown catch at the moment of which A.J. Brown has that ball and two feet are down, that would be ruled a touchdown if it was at that point in the field. So why is that all of a sudden different now that we're at? I I don't know what it was. I'm just going to say the 32. I don't give a shit where it was. But all of a sudden you're in the field of play. So it's different. You have to you have to get that third step in. You have to you have to turn up field and start motioning different in a different way why is the catch dead in the end zone at that point? But it is different elsewhere. When I see the snap of the hips and him moving the ball securely in his own frame for it then to be punched out in my eyes, that's a football move. And now I no longer know what it is. And a clearly a part-time official and, and in overtime as well, the fourth guy who's supposed to chime in, whether he's called the sky judge or what, I don't know, but whether whoever it is, that's supposed to make that call, they don't know what it is. And then they just, get essentially, quote unquote, bailed out because on the field, those dumbasses called it incomplete in that moment. And then they didn't let it kind of just go through official review. And because of that, they're lucky it was called that on the field, because if it was called a fumble on the field, they would then probably have let it stand as well. Why does something have to be that close and then that missed? Why can we not truly just define what a catch is? And then everything after that should be when a ball is live, clear as day. The place in the field should not change what a catch is. And somehow we found ourselves in a place where officials need to make judgment calls. And the worst thing you could do is have the opinion of an asshole wearing stripes dictate the outcome of a play and a game because they're making an opinion on what they believe they saw or didn't see. And that is dumb.
0: It's, it's becoming hard to watch. It really is. <clears throat> I'm not just saying that as a sour grapes bills fan fan, um, who had my team on the short end of the stick today, you kind of just wait for your team to be on the short end of the stick. It doesn't feel like the Bills have been on, on the good end of the. I guess maybe the Giants game, they could have called pass interference on Waller, if you want to say that maybe that was the Bills um, good end of the stick with officials. But just the entire league, it's just there are so many calls that officials make that are subjective, and they are so impactful. It's not like, the nba where if it's a ticky tack foul it's like it's one point it's like it's third and 15 and you call defensive holding and it's a first down and every defensive penalty you call is a free first down unless it's offsides and it's it's frustrating I, i i'm in a bad spot with the nfl right now i i'm not enjoying watching other games that aren't bill's games as much um, As I have in the past, I'll just be honest, like if it's a Monday night game, there's a good chance I'm watching NBA over NFL, unless it has like direct implications with the bills, because I don't enjoy watching the NFL as much as I used to. I still like the Sunday slate. There's a bunch of games on it. once. I usually have fantasy interest, but just sitting down and, and watching a game, um, I, I have to have a lot of interest in it to really be motivated to do that. All right, Luca. Let's put a bow on this disaster of a game with the Eagles. With our segment, game balls and game checks, it does look like the Ravens are going to close this out against the Chargers, twenty to ten. Your boy Zay Flowers called game, uh, scored a touchdown to put it out of, out of reach. That does help if you're if you're still running the race. <laughs> I'll, let me say this before we get to game balls and game checks. because We already talked about the playoffs a little bit. I think if you want to pay attention to the wild card situation what you realistically have to do is get teams in front of you to eight losses, because I think you have to live in a world where the bills are probably not going to win out. You need to give them one more loss just, just to be realistic about it. So then the bills are not going to win many tiebreakers in the AFC. So what you have to do is you have to get teams to eight losses. So what happened tonight is the chargers got to seven losses. They're there because they play the bills down the stretch. The bills will have to win that game to get in. That'll be their eighth loss. Kiss the chargers. Goodbye in this world because if the bills lose that game. None of this matters anyway. Um, and the other good thing is there's three wildcard teams. So you don't have to get all the teams out of the way. Two of them can make it. So at some point down the stretch, you can pick a team or two that you're like, all right, you're good. I'm cool with you continuing to win. Let's knock down the other teams. I think one of that will be whoever wins the head to head against the Texans and the Colts. Um, the other good thing I will say, maybe this is good or bad is a lot of these teams continue to play each other. Uh, like next week, the Texans play the Broncos. Both those teams are six and five. The good news is one of them will have six losses after that. As Luca would tell you what the bad news is, one of them won't because they will win. Um, I guess the worst case scenario there would be a tie. It would be like one of those when you're chasing teams in the, in the playoffs in hockey and they go to overtime. It's like, oh, it's a three-point game. But uh, I don't know. Uh, it, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around playoffs and all this stuff. I, I think if the Bills, if the Bills went out, they're going to make the playoffs. They, if they went out, they're going to make the playoffs. They're not going to miss out at 11 and six. I think 10 and seven is, it's dicey. I think they have a shot at 10 and seven, but you, you need some help along the way. Um, and I will say that if you want to, you want to hold on to one strand of optimism. If this team makes the playoffs, watch out. Nobody's going to want to play them. Like you talk about Let's just say a situation, a team like Baltimore gets the two seed and the seven seed is the Bills and the six seed is the Steelers. And Baltimore is like, wait a minute. We played all season long. We earned the two seed. We had the second best record in the conference. And our reward for that is Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs and this roller coaster potential juggernaut of a team comes to our building. And then Miami has a worse record than us and they get to host Kenny Pickett. So that's I, I do see it that way. I, I'm This is not Bill's blinders on. I think there are a lot of teams in the AFC that are hoping the Bills are on the outside looking in because it is looking like a pretty soft playoff field right now with Burrow out, the Bills on the outside looking in, and the Chargers continuing to charger, as Luca likes to say. So um, if we have a situation where Gardner Minshew and Kenny Pickett make the playoffs, whoo, fun times. All right, Luca. game balls and game checks time. Who gets your game ball for this Bills loss to the Philadelphia Eagles?
1: Oh, I mean, it's it's got to be Josh Allen. Yeah. It's just got to be Josh Allen. Look, Josh Allen has had a lot of good games in his day. This, in my mind, is one of those ones where I'm going to put it up near the absolute top, and it's a damn, damn shame that it came in such a heartbreaking loss. This, it, it's crazy. The, the best Josh Allen game of all time is 13 seconds, a loss. The second best Josh Allen game is a win. The game that preceded that game, the New England perfect game. The third game in my eyes, this may be that. I think the game that was in that three slot for me was potentially the Bucks game, if memory serves me right. Ironically, also a loss. And it seems to be a theme that really sucks, but Josh Allen was incredible tonight, even in that interception, which fun fact was very similar in an opposite way to the Cincinnati interception. He threw against cam Taylor Britt. He just pre thought he understood what coverage was and what the outside corner would do. And that outside corner did exactly what he didn't expect them to do. And he made the wrong decision pre-snap and just went with it anyways. You can't be doing that, but if that's the only blemish in a game of which you proceeded to throw for 339, run for 81 and two scores in its own, passing for two as well. And ultimately, we're a miscommunication from Gabe Davis away from a third passing touchdown and a win. You are a stud. You are our QB one. You are one of the best in the league at your absolute peaks, and you absolutely deserve the game ball tonight tonight in this game, even though there was a loss and you are the quarterback.
0: This was a classic Josh Allen game and it was met with a loss. I am with you. He was a super, super stud disrespecting the, um, what we normally do with game balls and game checks. I will not give it to Josh Allen just to call somebody else out, (laughs) but Holy cow. I mean, just, just to say a little bit more, the leading passer in this game was Josh Allen, 339 yards. The leading rusher in this game, not just for the Bills, folks, for everybody, was Josh Allen, 81 81 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Josh Allen had four total touchdowns trailing Jalen Hurts, who, to his credit, had five total touchdowns. Holy cow. If you had those guys in fantasy, you're probably doing pretty well this week. Um, But I will say, um, you know, I, I thought. I thought there were a couple guys on defense that did well. It felt like, you know, early on, you were loving everything you saw on defense. I thought Greg Rousseau had some really strong run defense in this game. We st- we're still kind of waiting to see him get his juice back in pass rush. I thought Ed Oliver was really strong against the run in this game again. Um, You know, Jordan Poyer had that knockout on the play that led to the miracle field goal. If that field goal is missed, Jordan Poyer, you know, that this could be a situation where that, that is a mega, mega play. Unfortunately, it wasn't meant to be. But I will give it to Gabe Davis because Gabe Davis is someone I tend to pick on when um, things go wrong. And I I made the joke last week about making it the Gabe Davis Memorial Award. But, you know, I thought Gabe Davis showed well for himself tonight. This was a beatable secondary, a matchup I thought he could take advantage of. But the thing about Gabe Davis is he doesn't always come through in those spots. Six for 105 and a touchdown. I'm not willing to just assume that it was his fault on the miscommunication. Um, So I'm not going to ding him for that. Um, I thought Gabe Davis came to play. He was very good in the run blocking game. And um, he, and I was able to watch the game on slow motion because it was on YouTube. So I watched Bill's plays boy. You can see how good Gabe Davis is as a run blocker. When you watch it in slow motion, Holy cow. He is like a tight end out there. Um, I, 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 this was a strong Gabe Davis game. Good for him. He, he really needed it. And the bills needed it from him. Unfortunately, it also came in a loss. All right, Luca, there is some bad. You, you should have some choices here. Who gets your game check? for the bills as in they didn't even need to
1: show up. They should hand in their game check. Yeah, there's a few options. I mean, normally in a loss there is, um, and and there's one glaring one that honestly, I almost in a weird way. want to be like, I'll let you start to let you take the low hanging fruit to be quite frank, but I'm going to do one right now. That isn't that. And also just pains me, but at the same time feels well-deserved. Micah Hyde, I have always been a massive fan of yours. It's well-documented. Josh is very well aware of this. He led this defense (laughs) Everything about Micah Hyde up until this game, I have loved everything I've seen. How in the fuck do we have two all-pro safeties that have zero clue on how to defend high-hanging jump balls? And Micah Hyde, that is your job. That is your job. I don't give a shit. That is your job. Zacchaeus is on you. And you not only do not get in any remote position to try to play the ball in a way where you just need to simply get a hand on it and bat it down. You somehow figured a way where you are not facing that ball and jumped negative feet in the air to then let Zacchaeus essentially get a free look at this prayer of a jump ball that he didn't even need to jump for and score that touchdown off of the interception when it was third and 16 or whatever it might have been. I have never, yeah, third and 15 on our 29. It was painful to watch that. And others out there I know are, you know, Poyer was in the somewhat vicinity and he's in the frame shot when you watch it. I don't believe that was his responsibility to be near that point of play. It's Micah and Micah alone. It's, it was so painful. And then on top of it all to less of his like kind of fault, but the game winner for the Eagles, it's, it's you one-on-one with Hertz, man, Mm -hmm. whether that's right or not is a different conversation that we've obviously already kind of had, but it's your job. That is your play. And you barely even came in touching distance of Jalen hurts. In the biggest moment of the game at that point in time, and you couldn't come through, and that was your job. Two moments for two touchdowns were squarely on your shoulders, and you fucked both those moments up. Mm-hmm. It's, that, it's just that simple, and it pains me to say that. So, yeah, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit. I'm sure a lot of us understand where you are most likely going to go with this, but it would not be right for me to sit here and just take the easy route when a person that I have loved on this team since day one of signing and loved the growth and everything he has meant for this team, for the defense, for the locker room, just couldn't come up and make a play in two very key moments and was quite literally the reason that a touchdown had occurred. And it was just absolutely painful. So yeah, my game check goes to Micah Hyde.
0: I know how hard that was for you because I know he's basically your favorite bill. Maybe one of your favorite bills of all time. Definitely one of your favorite bills of all time. Um, and, you know, I, we're fair on this show. We like players and this is a guy that you have a relationship with, a personal relationship with. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. We have to call it like we see it. Um, I think, the, um, you know, Micah Hyde's a free agent at the end of the year. Jordan Poyer has a pretty easy out in his contract. I'm, uh, I- I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for a new day back there. Uh, you know, the Bills have unlocked a couple of studs on defense this year at Oliver, kind of ascending into that level, Terrell Bernard out of nowhere. Um, I-, I do think it's time that th- this new wave of defensive talent comes in. Is it going to be a downgrade next year if you put a rookie out there and free agent signee X, maybe, potentially? But uh, th- these are not elite safeties anymore. Hayden Poirier, I-, I think it's time. I, I I'm okay. If the bills move on there and it was nice to get them back for one more season, but you know, I it definitely, it, it's not vintage hide Poyer, That's for sure. At least in my opinion. Um, I know you're probably expecting me to go to McDermott and you know, that's kind of, I'm with you. Like that's the one we started off the show with, but you know, I, I kind of laid out why he bothered me. I will give him credit. The first half was incredibly impressive and there were moments where i thought this team could have collapsed and they stayed on the rails i'll give him credit for that because it's not just about situational management it is people management and i thought he did a good job of keeping his players on track and not letting bad moments snowball so i'm going to give him a reprieve for this one because i think we also dedicated the good portion of the show to complaining about him um you know there's some other ways we could go here i'm i'm about ready to take the L on Trent Sherfield boy i was i was happy when the bills signed him I loved what I saw when I was reading about him in camp and watching on training camp. But um, boy, oh boy, I the fact that Deontay Hardy was inactive, I am totally in favor of that move. The Bills have got nothing out of that signing. And Trent Sherfield did nothing today. The only time you noticed him is when he was on the field for digs on third and long situations, and he could not complete the play. He was held on one play that wasn't called. Um, they're getting nothing out of that. And it's almost infuriating, like with as good as Shakir looks, why did it take this long for Shakir to differentiate himself from that group of players? Uh, but it definitely seems like right now it is his job. Um, let's see who else did I want to call out here as somebody that I could mention, but I'm not going to, you know, Kincaid had a quiet day five for 38 I, at the, I don't want to call him out too much. Cause that's a, that's a typical tight end day. It wasn't a great day, but whatever. I thought um, some guys on defense played pretty well. There's nobody on defense that really stands out to me. Tyler Bass two for four. I don't know how much you want to hold the block against him, but you know, I, I usually am of the mindset that if a field goal is blocked, it's on the kicker unless there's just a free rusher because that ball was too low and it got blocked at the line of scrimmage. And that to me is on the kicker. Um, Some Tyler Bass has not been bass money this year. And, uh, you know, if one of those two kicks goes through the pipes, it's a totally different game. And I was nervous on the extra point when the Bills went up by two and then eventually by three. I was very nervous about the extra point. I want to see Tyler Bass get back to his game. But I'm going to go with James Cook um, for a couple of reasons. One, he had the big drop on the touchdown pass. You can't have it. What a play. What a play design. What a throw by Josh Allen. And what a moment there for the Bills to come out and get some early momentum and James Cook just drops to the Bills, ultimately getting no points on that drive. But to me, that was one play. It was a very disappointing play. But the larger issue to me with James Cook is I just, I want to love James Cook, but I think I just like him. And I, there's moments where you see his speed flash, and you're like, man, he's got some different speed. But I cannot remember the last time I saw James Cook like really makes somebody look foolish in the open field. And that bothers me. Cause somebody with his, with his size and perceived skill set should be a little more dangerous in the open field than he is. And maybe that's not his game. Maybe he doesn't have the lateral agility. I mean, look, with his speed, with his catching ability, if he had the lateral agility, maybe he would have been a top 10 pick in the draft. So maybe I'm just being picky. But there there are there are times he leaves you wanting more. I also say, boy, he just like he falls a lot. There are so many times in his career where he gets tackled by his own feet. And that happened again today. Now, there were not a lot of rushing lanes, but there was a couple of times he's going up in the hole and he just slips and falls. And that's disappointing. And I don't know. I I want to love James Cook. And the metrics kind of like James Cook, but he always kind of leaves me wanting a little bit more. And today, it felt like every time they handed him the ball, it was a negative result. There was the one good drive. He ended up with 16 of 43 um, 2.7 yards per carry. He had six for 57. A lot of that was on a lo- long catch and run through the air. Um, but all in all the bills need more out of him. Um, you know, he, he, to me was kind of a net negative today. So I'll go, I'll go with James cook. Luca, the bye week is next. And depending on where your mindset is with this team, it's either, well, the bills are six and six and the season has already slipped away. And now I can kind of focus on the Sabres or I can focus on the NBA or I can focus on my fantasy football team. And, you know, we've all kind of done this dance where, you know, if you, if you've gone through the drought, you kind of hit a point in the season late November, early December where you realize your team's not going to make the playoffs. So you find other ways to enjoy the NFL while still watching your team. Um, So if you're there, maybe the fact that the bye week, is here is not that big of a deal because the bills being off ne- next week allows you not to feel obligated to watch them. When you can watch your fantasy quarterback or a game you want to bet on, or, you know, Alabama, Georgia's next weekend, whatever your interests are. Um, but if you're still running this playoff race, which I encourage you all to still do, the bills are a six and six football team and they have five games left. Like they, as we saw today, We don't have to assume the bills are going to lose to anybody, but I think the inconsistencies this team has shown throughout the year just makes it hard to fathom. They're going to rip off five straight wins. But the fact that the bye week happens now is just extra long time to stew on this, to leave that bad taste in your mouth. And I hate it. I want, I'd want to see this team get back on the field ASAP. That is not the case. I do think they've put together two of their best games of the season, back-to-back weeks, Jets and Eagles. It just so happened this one, they didn't a loss. But the fact that the bye week is here, Luca, I think is awful timing. Where do you fall on the bye week timing?
1: Yeah, it couldn't be worse. It it couldn't be worse timing. I, I mean, I kind of hinted at it earlier in the show, and it's just like one of those things where you don't want that kind of loss going into a bye. It's just the worst of vibes to be had. But when the season kind of felt and I think players and coaches understood that, too, just based on their energy and effort. I I think that's blatantly obvious, to be quite honest, where they understood the magnitude of this game and what that win should have meant for this team. Then going into the bye and the rest of the season and the fact that they lost it, the fact that they now are 500 for the first time since week two going into the bye week with only five games left on the schedule makes it incredibly difficult to believe anything other than the inevitable missing of the playoffs that it seems like is on the horizon for this team. And you have to stew on that for a week. If you're a bills player or a coach and McDermott doesn't have a scapegoat that he can go to, you know, he can't fire Ken Dorsey again. He's not going to (laughs) fire. It's not going to fire his current OC. It's definitely not his fault. Uh, Mm -hmm. He can't fire his DC because that would be firing himself. And well, That would be a really interesting press conference. How did you come to that conclusion, Sean McDermott? How did you fire yourself? I don't have to answer that question. I'm no longer employed by the Bills. Um, (laughs) It would be an interesting time if something like that happened. The only thing that I can kind of hold on to a little bit of hope of, Josh, is the fact that there is an opposite and yet similar vibe to the emotional loss losing to a touchdown and overtime feeling screwed by referees in a game that ultimately shouldn't have come down to that, but did have those moments similar to Tampa Bay and what we saw in Allen having a great game. He was the leading rusher of the game. He was the leading passer of the game. He had over a hundred yards rushing in that game, but might add and was over 300 passing out of that game, Josh, we know what happened. They rattled off four straight wins and then provided us the perfect playoff game against New England, and we're 13 seconds away from winning in Arrowhead and possibly the greatest chance the Bills have had since the Kelly era to win a Super Bowl. Can they do it again with Josh Allen in the current form that he has shown us, as you pointed out last week and this week? Yes. But, man, it really sucks going into a bye week right now and not just getting back up on the horse and trying to continue to grind away and put some wins in the win column and maybe see if you can squeak in with one of those wild cards, which I just don't see happening or somehow seeing the dolphins slip up a little bit more and you can somehow take that division from them. That is the hope I hope they can do. But I think the bye week may create more issues than solutions for this team. And I'm just praying that that's not the case because I do question the balance of the team, the balance of the team, believing in the coaching and all the different things. Cause when you see that it's clear as day, that McDermott's on the hot seat and you've already seen kind of a little bit of turmoil within the locker room where people from the outside that know the NFL and know football just wonder what is going on in that locker room because the vibes feel different. You hear it like, I think as silly and fun as a show as the McAfee show is Josh, that when you hear McAfee and Orlovsky on that show and stuff like that, where they go, there's definitely something going on in the locker room. The vibes feel different. Things are different. These aren't just your Stephen A. Smiths who have been in the media all their years and stuff. They have been in locker rooms. They've been in successful locker rooms. They've been in teams that have gone first overall pick and lost all games in Orlovsky's case. They've been in a wide array of locker rooms. They understand kind of from the outside looking in at least how to take hints and things of that nature to understand maybe how a team feels psychologically and what those vibes that they reference are. And if they are alerting that something is clearly going on, there is something there. And the worst thing that could happen is all of these individuals then go on their own merry way and self-fulfill themselves on whatever the beliefs that they are are happening with this team. And then they have to get back at it and try to rattle off five wins in a row. It's going to be a difficult task. I just hang my hat of hope, the slim hope that I have that maybe this can be like that Tampa Bay game where it was such a heartbreaking loss in the fashion that it was. And you just right the ship, steady the course, and somehow pull off magic starting an arrowhead. That's the only glimmer of hope I can possibly let infect my brain.
0: Let's say that the Bills missed the playoffs. You're a betting man. Sean McDermott, the head coach next year. God no. Now I'm not saying would. Let's be clear. I'm not saying would Luca fire him. I'm not saying would Josh fire him. I think you have a pretty good feel for the Pagulas. Um, yeah. Is that where your head's at? You think they're they're going to move on?
1: I think the Pagulas hate noise. I, I think the Pagoulas hate when. The noise, and I'm not saying they let fans get to them, but it feels like when the media starts even laying on pressures and questions and wants them to make statements and when people just want to understand what truly is going on with something that appears from the outside looking in to be failing at whatever level it is, they are going to then throw the questions at the problems of which they've hired and paid, and they're going to remove you or something they feel like will remove those questions. And McDermott has become the only viable option at this point. That they need to remove. To then get rid of those questions and concerns. Where then it's more about looking forward on what this team could potentially be with a new thing. Rather than why is it failing now. After seeing that it should have been successful prior. And I do believe that. The Pagula's view McDermott. At this point in time based on what we expect from this team, I think McDermott is currently sitting outside looking in. And the only thing that can save his job is not only making the postseason, but he needs to make the postseason and make a run of it. And I'm not even going to say like, you know, conference championship or what level the eye test needs to be passed once again, because it's not, Mm -hmm. it's not being passed anymore. And that's where I think the Pagula is now finally raised the question and you need to go on a run where the eye test can be passed once again and then they can have this trust that they still believe that McDermott hasn't lost things like it clearly shows at this point in time.
0: I agree. I I don't there's just a part of me that feels like the Pagulas don't want the mess, but then there's another the stadium to me is a lingering issue. And I don't know which way that pushes them because If they don't, okay, so let's play this out. Let's say they don't fire McDermott. McDermott is clearly, from a national perspective, and you just mentioned they don't like noise, he is clearly the Brandon Staley next year. He's the the first name everybody mentions as the coach that has to get it done this year, or he's fired. And then you want to talk about a team that you talk about, they already have like the drama of Stefan Diggs, whatever you want to say that is. They've never won a Super Bowl. And now you want to add the pressure of the national media speculating that the, the coach is on the hot seat going into an important season. I don't know. I could I could definitely see the the Pagulas. I, I keep saying the Pagulas. I'm sorry. It, it's habit. I, I understand that Kim is pretty hands-off right now. Um, Terry Pagula like pulling the chute and uh, and wanting to find a, a different coach. And I do think that this is a good time for a reset and Holy cow, do we sound ungrateful? And I understand that it's like Sean McDermott has brought us after 17 years of not being in the playoffs has brought the bills to the playoffs all but one season. He's coached the bills. He's brought them to the AFC championship game. He's brought them to 2020, 2021, 2022, three straight AFC East championships. And there's a part of me that just thinks to myself, like, like, is this too, what have you done for me lately? Or are, are we just assuming, you know, are we holding too much against him? But I look at the whole thing. Yes, the team is good. The quarterback is fantastic. But some of the McDermott players, Tradavius White, Jordan Poyer, uh, Micah Hyde, I, they're on their way out the door. And I do think it's time for a potentially new scheme on defense. Not necessarily like an overhaul, but let's get some fresh eyes on this defense. Maybe you can unlock something out of Greg Rousseau that hasn't been unlocked before. Maybe Dorian Williams is a better fit in that defense. I don't know. I'm just kind of spitballing. Maybe Kyer Elam's a better fit in that defense. But the other thing is, like, we have the Texans meltdown. We have the 13 seconds. We have this team looking like they didn't belong on the field against the Bengals in 2022 or the Chiefs in 2020 where they got thoroughly outplayed and outcoached in playoff losses. And then we have games like today where the Bills have maybe the best regular season game on the entire schedule and they're on the losing end of it. And this is not new to the Bills. We've seen this time and time again as Luca outlined earlier. And I think you start building up the resume and this is such a game of inches like if you get to the playoffs and you ultimately get to the super bowl there is going to be a game or two that comes down to the final minute the final drive the final sequence a coach calling a smart play at the end and if you've seen enough from McDermott to think he's going to be on the right end of that and that's where my head's at it's not about the fact that they lost to the eagles on november 26th to fall to 6 and 6 like i'm realistic about what this team probably is but it's about if you want to project forward with Josh Allen as this quarterback thinking this is still a window where you can try to get that elusive Super Bowl trophy. I am not convinced McDermott is the guy to get them over the hump. I think we have seen enough evidence that McDermott actually does kind of shrink in these big moments. I am forever grateful for the fact that he ended the playoff drought and brought the Bills to a level that I never thought possible of this team. Although I do think a lot of credit needs to go to Josh Allen if we're being realistic about it. Um, but I, I do think it's time that if the Bills don't make the playoffs, barring a situation where they like win out and they finish eleven and six and everybody else just finishes ahead of them, um, I think it's time for the Bills to to look for some fresh set of eyes. All right, Luca. Well, speaking of fresh set of eyes, we'll get a nice little break this week on the bye week. We'll be back on Bills Chat Live on Friday to kind of have a season reset. We'll see what we think about these bills, what we think is going to be happening after the bye week Are we in a better mindset than we were tonight? We shall see. Um, And then we'll figure out if that, if that particular episode is just going to be used for bills chat podcast, since there's no game to do a post game show on. And then uh, we'll start turning our attention to those Kansas city chiefs and the annual battle in Arrowhead, where it seems like the bills are always going to play in the regular season. Luca, any final thoughts before we get out of here?
1: Uh, no, I mean, I it's funny. Like on my notes here, I'm just staring at you know 2019 22 19 loss to the Texans and wild card up 13 nothing at halftime. I'm staring at overtime losses in Allen's career and McDermott's history as well, where the only one that he won was that Blizzard game. Um, I'm hoping we're in a better headspace come Friday. Um, I'm hoping I am in a better headspace come Wednesday when I will be back with Sabres chat. For anyone that listens to that, I do appreciate you. It is a bi-weekly podcast now, and we have hit that bi-week. Um, the last performance we saw to the Sabres was pathetic, and we get to go into a red-hot MSG to play the Rangers uh, tomorrow night, or if you're listening to this, tonight on Monday. Um, if you're listening to this after Monday, hopefully the result wasn't too bad where this didn't linger over. I fear, I, I will say, I'll leave it with this, Josh. I fear that... So like the Broncos loss did with then the night after where the Sabres put up an absolute shit sty against the Bruins. I fear that the Sabres are going to double up on this and do yet again the exact same thing where we have this heartbreaking, depressing loss for the Bills. And yet the following night where we now have something else to watch, they're going to go into MSG this time and get absolutely spanked around by the Rangers and just give us as Buffalo sports fans zero hope of any future and winning anything and doing anything and just feeling like the inevitable cycle has continued where nothing positive will come about this um I'm in a pretty bad spot when it comes to Buffalo sports fandom and unfortunately for me I do value sports a lot in my life maybe a little bit too much but uh I'll be back on Wednesday for Sabres chat if you tune into that that will be on our channel as well follow us everywhere blah 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 all that spew Sad times here. I'm hoping Wednesday and Friday, I'm in a better mood.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you're the hockey guy on this show. Like, I I root for the Sabres just because people like you, you know, I want to see a Buffalo sports team do well, but I don't sit there and watch every game. But man, the Bills or the Buffalo fans could sure use a strong week from the Sabres. That's for sure. And I, you know, I almost wonder if we should talk about this next week on on our bye week episode sports fandom and, and how much it does bother us. Because, man, I hit a low point tonight where I was. I had to take myself out of the situation with my kids. I talked about earlier because I was afraid I was going to like go on a cussing rant around them because of a game I had no control over. And it's, it's amazing. Like we, we all stress about this. And then at the end of the day, it's like, we have no control over it, but it sure does like affect our mood. It affects our mindset. And it just is so disappointing to think about like how happy we all would have been on Monday had the bills gotten that game to the garage, but they didn't. That's not the life we live, the life we live is a six and six football team. And Luca and I will be here for the rest of the way, whether the bills lose out, win out or somewhere in between. Hopefully it winds up somehow, some way with the playoff game. All right. For Luca, I am Josh McCarty and we will see you next time on bills. Chat.